This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Here's Speroni. He rolls the ball out to Cannon. He's got options in front of him. He picks out Thomas. This is a nice looking move from Palace. That's a neat ball to Ambrose with space on the right. Good turn. He crosses into Johnson. Oh, yes. Back of the nest. Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Review Show. My name is Chris Hamley and today I have the dubious pleasure of hosting the show as we look back at a dismal one defeat, one nil defeat, in fact, against Wolves at Sellers Park. Four home games without scoring looked on the cards almost from the outset. Palace saw plenty of the ball, but lacked the drive and creativity to fashion any proper chances. We'll take you through the key talking points, incidents and performances, but also be going through a selection of your comments and questions. My panel tonight is Ed Kellaway, Tim Warren and Chris Clark. We'll be back in just a moment. Back of the Nest Match Review Podcast. www.backofthenest.com Okay, welcome back after that introduction. Uh, it was, uh, I'm sure it's a classic. Um, so we've got to get straight into that match review, gentlemen. But uh, before we do, just a couple of bits to mention, I suppose. We've got the Palace for Life Foundation walk. I don't really want to mention it because I'm terrified because it's next week at the time of recording. Uh, in fact, it's six days. So somehow I've got to walk 26.2 miles. Ah, um, we are doing very well uh, on the fundraising. Um, Sam, Producer Sam has said... It's all because of her and her friends. So um, if you like me at all, please uh, check our social media accounts for uh, links to the uh, Back of the Nest Palace for Life Foundation walk page. And please give money. And they mention in the comments here because I said so. Uh, and then I can start uh, showing Sam that I'm better than her. Um, did that sound a bit needy? Yeah. Not at all. <laughs> good, good. Um also, I suppose I better warm up my panel, seeing as they're sort of politely sitting there in silence. Chris Clark, you have returned. Yep, yeah, and pleased to be back. Good. Uh, you are now nicknamed Carbon Copy because uh, apparently you are almost a precise replacement replacement for me. Same age, same obesity, same beard. What can I say? Well, exactly. Yeah, it's, uh, it's impressive. It's impressive. But we now know that if I go missing, we've got you to step in. <laughs> And, um, Super sub, yeah. And oh, I haven't told you this, but I, I am going missing next uh, for the next review. I'll be in. I'll be in Las Vegas. That's not a Las Vegas accent. 
It's <laughs> just something I did. Um, wow. <laughs> well, I don't know where that came from. Let's move swiftly on and talk to Ed. Hi, Ed. Hello. How you doing? All right? Yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah. First show of the season with the new software. Are you excited? I am ecstatic. More excited than I was while at the game yesterday. Yeah, you seemed positively angry yesterday. I was. I've calmed down a bit now. It's probably better we're doing the show now rather than immediately after the uh, a game. Less, ed- less editing for Sam. What, what you've done there is you've introduced the concept of time to the podcast, <laughs> haven't you? And uh, <laughs> people can listen to this wherever, so who knows what now is. When... Anyway, let's not get into that. Thanks, Ed. <laughs> Talking of angry people, Tim was incandescent with rage, weren't you, Tim? Yeah, it didn't help. Mikey was winding me up as well, but um, like Ed, yeah, yeah. I think me and Ed were on the same uh, wavelength last night. But uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I think Mikey was fishing um, in yeah, his room chat. Pretty, pretty funny when he does that. You're right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He was just, he was just advising a bit of, you know, a bit of uh, what would you, what's called it. I always use the word, and it's just popped out of my head for some reason. Yeah, it's a bit uh, of balance, perspective. I suppose. Perspective. Balance, perspective. He's just saying that you know we we do this every year. We get all irate about stuff really early on, and then it's always all right at the end. And look, he's probably going to be right, but doesn't doesn't feel like it at the moment. Anyway, that was the warm up chat. I hope you all enjoyed that. It didn't go quite how I wanted it to, but that's mainly my fault. Um, so, gents, match review. Uh, the lineups. You you cannot talk about uh, this game without talking about the fact that as soon as the team came in, Twitter and Facebook went absolutely insane. Jeffrey Schlupp selected uh, ahead of Max Mayer. Most people thought Mayer was our best player uh, against Bournemouth. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go straight to you, Chris. What what can you even fathom? Uh, what what Hodgson was thinking there? What what has he gone out to try and do by that that change of selection there? He's trying to run a different shape, isn't he? Um, that's that's the logic behind it. But I mean, it, we saw and we'll get on to the full game. It just didn't work. It really, really didn't work. And, you know, I mean, there was some nice play at points, but that wasn't down to Schlupp. Um, and the... Yeah, where, where do I go with it? I mean, there, there's so many things that are frustrating that we'll cover. Um, but um, Schlupp is at the centre of quite a lot of those. Um, and, I mean, we'll come to Kiata as well, because, yeah. you know, that's our best midfield. And, I mean, I, I still think Luca desperately needs, looks like he needs a rest as well. So, yeah, the selection is a major part of the problem. And it, it's Roy's loyalty to players who have not performed for a considerable period of time is incredibly frustrating and it needs to change. Well, you, you talk about the shape there, Chris, and Ed, obviously, you know, you can see Roy's looking for that formula last from last season where he played four across the midfield, but he didn't play them with, with orthodox wingers. He played with central midfielders. You know, we had we had Loftus-Cheek and MacArthur on the, on the, in the wide positions at times. The selection yesterday was Andros, who is a winger, um, and obviously Jeffrey Schlupp supposedly playing on that left side. But again, as you analyse the game, he didn't spend a huge amount of time playing on the left side. He was very narrow, quite often caught very central or, or on the right-hand side at times. So it really did look a peculiar attempt at trying to recreate that shape as well. But uh, as, as we've just talked about, that you know, it's shape. But what else is it? Why, why was Mayer the one to come out? I kind of understand it. I thought Mayer looked good Monday night. I think at the moment we need someone else as a someone who we look to get the ball to to make things happen other than Wilf. 
because um, he's either been kept quiet, the teams have done quite effective jobs on him, or he's been a bit off the boil the last few games. And I just did not understand when I saw that Schlupper coming from Mayer, what Roy's thinking. The only thing I think is, oh, I thought at the time is that he's playing, because the Wolves play with wing-backs, they've played the same lineup every single game this season, is that he wanted to have Schlupp in there to provide that bit of extra width to combat yeah, the fact I'm... that they play wing-backs and get down that side. But like you say, Schlupp didn't play particularly wide. He played inside quite a lot. So if it's going to be that, then let's just play Mayer there. I yeah, it's... didn't understand the selection from Roy and I think yeah, it was a it seems to be insistent on playing the four four two and like we said has a certain loyalty to quite a few players despite them not particularly performing. Um and I just I really want to see us go back to the four two three one that has worked for us previously. Yeah, it's I mean it's such a, a tough thing to sort of to put your finger on. But I mean I I'll ask you this, Tim, because if you looked, if you looked at uh, social media, and a few people mocked this before the game, but you had, I would say, probably hundreds, if not a couple of thousands, of Palace fans. Now you can talk about the fact that Roy Hodgson's an, an incredibly experienced manager. You've got him supported by a big coaching staff. They've all got a lot of experience in the game, one way or another, uh, or have done their necessary badges. And you can say, look, you know, these guys they should know better than the crowd. But when you look at the fact that a couple of thousand Palace fans called it before a ball had even been kicked. You know how how do you go about? I mean, you know, we you know you could argue we're being negative, and it's it's still hindsight, even though the fact it sort of panned out exactly the way we thought it would. But you know, surely two thousand Palace fans can't be wrong before the game. No, I'm just getting really worried at the moment that it was almost as if um, Mayer had such a good game against Bournemouth and was moving the ball around so quickly that that it kind of scared Roy into thinking, oh, I, I want to be a bit more cautious. I don't want to be quite so adventurous. And, uh, you know, perhaps he'd give a bit too much respect for Wolves on that that basis. Um, but it, he's just a very stubborn man. And I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get worried now. And, and I've, I've had every faith in Roy up until this point. But I'm just starting to get a little bit concerned, as are many other Palace fans, and certainly the fans around me in the upper Homesdale, they, they share the same frustrations that kick off uh, with the lineup as well, um, it, it just didn't make any sense at all. But one of the, the most concerning things that I saw was a uh, it was Jackie Oatley who reported the comment on Twitter, and she'd asked Roy to explain the uh, the decision to to put Schluff in for Max Mayer, and he said it didn't need explaining. Does mate? Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it really does. It to really be honest, does. it totally did. It totally needed explaining um, from my perspective to to what the logic was behind his decision. Yeah, and um, I mean certainly if it didn't need explaining pre-game it needed explaining afterwards you know what was the thinking and we'll get into this but that question what was the thinking that we've all we've all tried to answer here it actually looks like the players are asking that question as well you know in terms of how they were you know how they were positionally on, on the pitch because usually that's the strongest thing with Roy everyone knows where they've got to be at, every, at any given moment particularly without the ball it's all about shape it's all about you know, working a system that gets the best out of the players. All of a sudden, you've got a very frustrated Wilfred Zaha seeing very little of the ball. You've got uh, midfielders who are kind of interchanging positions and wandering all over the place and leaving big gaps, you know, in, in the defensive areas. And, you know, the only thing that looks relatively secure in where they're supposed to be is the back four. Um, but even then, it's, you know, that's not going to win us any games. So it's 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 a... You know, I'm I'm getting very frustrated with it. I'm going to have to ask another question and see if you've got this one, Chris. Um, 
of all the players to take out, James MacArthur had an absolutely awful game. Now, due respect to MacArthur, you know he's a he's a real trooper for Palace, but he was terrible against Bournemouth. You know, as I said on the Love Sports show, I asked, you know, asked the guy how the the Bournemouth fan how did he managed to get MacArthur to play for them in that game because it, it was that bad. Um, so then you, you you know you get into this game and you know, Matthew keeps his place. That's the you talk about loyalty. Is that is that really loyalty? Well, you can call it loyalty or you can call it pig-headedness, can't you? Um, yeah. Incredibly frustrating again. Um, and I, I just cannot understand. I mean, to be honest, it doesn't matter what the logic is because when you've had a, you've made a decision, you've tried it, and it clearly didn't work twice now, two games in a row, it's been absolutely clear that Maya is a very good player and needs to be in the first team. It's clear that Kiate is a brilliant player and needs to be in the first team because both times, the moments that they've come on, they have brightened us up considerably. And partly that's positional discipline, but it's also quality. They need to play, and that needs to start now. I'd, I don't know why Roy can't see it or perhaps doesn't want to see it. Probably it is this loyalty or pig-headedness, but you know, someone who can get through to him needs to have a word. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna play devil's advocate. I'm gonna attempt to anyway, and say if you go back to our promotion, uh, our first season back in the Premier League under Holloway, where we changed a bunch of players and it basically destroyed the team spirit. Is that the thought? That's got to be the thought behind loyalty to to the players who got you where you are, sort of thing. So well, the players absolutely. that the players that performed for Rory last season, you know, he doesn't want to. Go okay, well done for last season, guys. But these these new guys are better than you, so so off you go, kind of thing. And I and I got the from his pre-match press conference. I kind of got the feeling that's what it was. I've got a huge amount of sympathy with that when it's working, you know. But how how long can we wait before you say okay? Well, it's only we're only eighteen games in, you know. You, you, we're we've got a difficult run of matches coming now, and we've clearly got players who are on the bench who are better than the players, and are playing better every time they come on, than the players who are starting games. You know, and it, it's t- it's gone on too long already. It can't be allowed to continue. I, I just, I understand the loyalty thing, because, you know, I, I really was sad when, you know, going back to these conversations that have happened on previous iterations of this podcast about people like Delaney, you know, they, they were clearly past their best and yet carried on playing because they were a key, a key part of the dressing room um that's the going to be the case for macarthur and others as well in terms of their character but you can't get by on character if the quality's not there and that is where we are at the moment i fear go ahead just to say and you, like i know you referenced like the holloway and all the changes we made there and obviously that we lost that sort of team spirit we're not talking wholesale changes from the the team that did well for us last year. We're talking one or two players. I mean, obviously Loftus Cheek we lost. He went back to Chelsea for his own choice, but we're not, you know, changing the whole team. It's one or two players, and you could understand him sticking with the people that did well for him last year if they were still performing. You could say, okay, there's a player that we've signed that is probably better than you on the bench, but you're still putting in the performances. So, you know, you have my loyalty, and I'll persist with you like that. But they're not performing, so they they can't be, you know, they can't feel hard done by if they're to lose their place. So I just, it's just frustrating that it's it's to the detriment of the team now. I think that his yeah. sort of loyalty towards certain players is 
Well, you know, it's harming us, I think. And it's like Chris says, when when is he going to go? Okay, now's time to change. We've had a run of games against teams that we really should be picking points up against, and, and we know, haven't. And that's you know, we've wasted what is a relatively kind start to the season and played Watford, Southampton, Huddersfield, Newcastle, Bournemouth, Wolves, and picked up four points against those teams is worrying. Yeah, it is worrying, and I take the point. Obviously, you know, it's, it's I can only argue it so much because because I am playing a bit of devil's advocate here. But you know, I, I kind of I even look back to last season and I start to think, well, actually, towards the end there, were we actually playing particularly well anyway? Were those players actually progressing in that system, or did we actually get worse as people got used to how we were playing? And you know, you you look at the way we set up in the start of this match, and you think, okay, well, if you if you're going to go back to that. That four four two, if you like. Well, you have what you what he's failed to do there is address the fact that he's played uh, Zaha and Ayu up top and and Townsend on the right, which is you know which is very different to what he, you know the successful four four two last season. Generally speaking, was with you know uh, Townsend as a, as a striker alongside Zaha and then a, a central midfielder on the right, and that's what that's what he didn't do there. So the logic to me would be to take Ayu out of our team. And play an extra central midfielder, but he didn't seem to want to do that. Tim, I mean, going back as well to the original point about Macarthur, um, I think we've all agreed he's probably been one of our best players this season. Um, but he had an absolute stinker against Bournemouth, and and so what I didn't understand was this was absolutely the right opportunity to sort of give him a rest for a game um, and leave Meyer in the team. But it it just you know it boggles me that he he didn't make that decision based on the last game on that last performance. Um, so you know it's all very well being loyal, but he should be reacting to to where we're at at the moment. Yeah, I, I totally understand that. And you know, for me, it's it's obviously about roles within a system. You know, he's obviously trying to say, you know, this is the system, and these are the players that play that particular role the best that I have available. So with MacArthur, it's it almost seems to have created a James MacArthur role in the team. But you know, I've said over the last few weeks, Max May is a better player than James MacArthur. However you know, much I respect James MacArthur. And I'm not necessarily saying he can't play in the same team as Mayer. I'm just saying that, you know, if you're particularly look I me mean, look, we the look at the players we picked up from, you know, if you're if we were under pressure at any point in that game, which weirdly we weren't, and we had to and we had to try and look for a long ball, the best you can do is hit it in the channels and hope because you can't play him through midfield because your midfield is very flat and very straight and, and no one's really sort of create any angles for passes you know if you look at some the reason the fans love max mayer is because of the way you know he's constantly moving he's constantly offering himself for a for a pass when he has the ball he very rarely gives it away we we like to see that level of class and ability and thought and that's what we had with johan kabai so totally agree guys it's it's so frustrating to see but and like you say you know i mean tim you've said it chris you've said it you know is it pig-headedness is it I don't I don't want the change because I can hear how much the fans want me to play Max Mayer and I you know I want to I am the manager and I want to do what I'm doing sort of thing I can't think that it is you know I genuinely think it's all about the system but how long can you believe in a system that doesn't work uh, final thing on the lineup um, I'll ask you this Ed Wilf back back as a forward after playing uh, on the left hand side of a three uh, in the last couple of games which in, in fairness didn't really Work a huge amount. Um, people are a little bit worried about him in terms of his 
his form and maybe his, his body language in the game. Well, first of all, what did you make of him being put back as a forward? And second of all, you know, what, what is, is there something up with him? Uh, I don't particularly like him as a, a forward. I much prefer him and I think we get much more out of him and he's much more dangerous when we, he plays out on the left. I think, I don't know what Wilf prefers, but it seems like he prefers to play out on the left. He's just up front. Like yesterday, I don't know what their, their name of their centre-half was just, every time he tried to come in, get it to feet, was right up his backside. He just didn't get a moment to get on the ball, try and turn. Wilf is dangerous when he is. He fronts people up and he can give you that trick and just make you look stupid. Not with his, you know, back to goal with if he tries to come and drop into the midfield in front of the sort of centre-behalves, he's got midfielders that will pick him up and they'll double up on him. Wilf is dangerous when you, we get him out wide, he can drift in and he has a little bit more freedom out there and it's easier for him to come and get the ball to his feet and front up defenders and get them, you know, with their back to goal and running at them. And then once he gets anywhere near the box, you know how dangerous he can be. I, I'm not... I re- like what I said earlier, I really hope we go back to the four-two-three-one after the international break and Benteke's back and play him out wide left as part of the three behind Benteke because I just yeah I think he's wasted up top a little bit especially yeah. especially at home where we're going to have a lot more of the ball and we're going to look to build play maybe away from home where we're going to look to hit on the counter more it makes more sense to have him at the top of the pitch because um, we will obviously look to get the ball back to front quickly and, and hit teams on the counter and you, it's him that you want on the ball you know when you're hitting teams on a, on a breakaway but at home where we're going to try you know probably have more of the ball and try and build through the back like we did yesterday I think up front he just gets sort of uh, you know suffocated almost for a space and we just can't get him on the ball enough and he was just periods of the game yesterday where it, he just didn't touch the ball and didn't affect it enough yeah, I mean, look, it's I, I have mixed feelings about it personally because I, I I actually I mean, if you look at Wilf's goal scoring record when he's been played as a as a forward, it's pretty good. Um, but I think more and more as he's played there, teams have just wised up to it, and he's done exactly what Wolves did, exactly what you've described there, Ed, in, in terms of getting a you know a bit of a bruising centre back close to him and, and made sure you know he's not really receiving the ball. At, you know, looking forward at goal, it's always with his back to goal, and he's got to try and turn and all that kind of stuff. But you know, forget that for our part in it. We've we've got to work our system and work the way we play to provide our best players with the, the best situations in the game. So if you've got Wilfred Zaha at your disposal, for me, it's not about whether you play him wide left or you play him up front. It's about how you support him around that. So if you're playing him up front, well, first of all, you've got to encourage him to work the channels. And you've got to get players up with him. You know, at our very, very best last season, Wilf was playing as a forward, but he always had Loftus-Cheek and, and Patrick Van Arnholt close to him. There was always at least two options for him to pass to or he could take the take the player on. And then you isolate him against players as well. And for us not to do that, for us to be so sedate with our passing and so, I don't know, devoid of ideas, I think Wilf is... It's cutting a very frustrated figure for me. Um, all right, I don't, I don't dwell too much on that. Let's get into the actual action. Um, look, we started, you know, and, and continue to be very, very strong in possession in the first half. You know, very early on, you could see it quite nicely. The midfield, although 
fairly flat in terms of their shape, were quite well pushed up, which in turn made Wolves drop back, although that was their intention all throughout the whole game anyway. We did play some sort of neat football, but not really at any kind of a high tempo. Uh, and for me, we didn't really see anyone gambling to get any sort of presence in the area. But the biggest problem I felt that there was, you've got three centre-backs, are playing a back three, and at most, and I, I really do mean at most, there were two forwards in the box. So at some point we're, we've got we've got two of our players against three of theirs. So there's a, you know, for me there's a player missing there. So who's who's being that one? And and it was whichever one of the midfield you want to pick, back in line with the other midfielders, and that's where they stayed until we're chasing the game later on. And that's what really frustrated me, and I could see that straight away. Now those early exchanges, gents, we saw some crossing from Palace. So once again, Benteke's not in the team yet, We just and we decide to cross the ball. They're often way too deep, the crossing. But in general, I've got to ask you, and I'm going to ask you, Tim, what is our plan? What's our game plan on it when we're attacking? And it was particularly against Wolves. What, what was Roy setting us out to do there? We had possession. We pushed them back. We tried to move the ball across field, but we did it slowly. So what are we trying to do? Well, all I can see that we're doing is just keeping possession just keeping hold of the ball and knocking it sideways and then um, backwards again and like little forward pass and then back again and and I'm sure the possession stats highlight that we had most of the most of the play but it's not doing much with it and and from what I saw yesterday when we were actually trying to attack it didn't seem like we were there were no options at all so every time we were moving forward with the ball no one was creating space no one was going like you say down the channels or or looking for the ball even and it just seemed the longer the game went on the team just seemed to lose all confidence and no one from what I saw really no one really wanted the ball no one wanted to take control and um, I'd even put Wilf in that bracket yesterday um, he didn't really want to take players on um, it just was a really kind of it was hard to watch because we had the ball a lot but we were just doing nothing with it uh, Chris that's that's Tim's go at trying to describe what the game plan was, uh, there wasn't one <laughs> by the looks of it. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, what do you think? Well, that's a neat summary that there wasn't a game plan. Um, I, I do think, actually, when, when you look back, because I mean, I, I took the chance to watch the highlights before doing this show today, and it that although there wasn't a plan, there were moments that look quite positive um you know for i mean i'm sure we'll come on to it but iu won the um free kick on the right wing you know and that resulted in a good chance for schlup one of a number of them um during the day um you know we had chances that that's what's so frustrating about it it's not just that we were rubbish and directionless it's that when we did have chances we didn't take them um if you think back i mean I think um, you, you just quoted the you know the fact that we had lots of possession, but it wasn't very productive. I think back to the way that Tony Pulis set up our team, where we didn't need possession, we didn't have possession, we didn't want possession, because what we were doing was we'd, we'd nick the ball and break very quickly, and that's always what we've done, or certainly for a very long time. This is a different style. It's an attempt to play possession football, but with no ability to penetrate and seemingly no desire to do so and that that's that you can you can hear the rumbling in the crowds when another sideways pass comes about people do get frustrated and and they start to ball out the team actually yeah, it's funny that's that's always annoyed me in the past when uh, when we're keeping possession uh, as a palace side 
and the crowd get impatient. I'm like, come on, this is this is Palace. It's so rare for us to hold the ball for any length of time. Come on, guys, you know this, but this time you're you're absolutely right. I'm, you know, I'm I'm getting that exact same frustration as well as, as I'm sure everybody who's listening to this is watching Palace at the moment. It's you know, it's that, and, and you you put your you know you, you put your finger on it, Chris. It's it feels like a lack of desire. Now I know it. I, I don't think it's a lack of desire. I think it's. I think it's a, a growing lack of confidence. I think it's a growing lack of potentially bravery where people are not re- willing to put things at risk, uh, you know, for, for fear of making that mistake or for fear of breaking the shape or whatever. But, you know, I'm, oh, I don't know. It's, it's so frustrating to watch. Um, you know, and I, and I, you know, we've, we've had two, two of you have a, have a go at talking about what the game plan is. And, and and again, I'm not. This is not a criticism. I'm just as an observation. Neither of you have actually said what the, you know. Both of you have pretty much said there wasn't a game plan. And and how can that be? You know, surely it isn't. There, there must be some sort of a, you know thought process there. And how how are we going to score here? Now, you know, you could argue that you know, and and I'll, I'll talk to Ed about this. You know, this best the best chance of the half really, and it's quite early on, and you're thinking this is pretty promising because we're. You know, we're keeping a lot of the ball, and you see your, you know, our best player Wilf has moved out to the right, and he's found a bit of space. Bit lucky getting past the defender, drills in that low cross, and then it's there's there's Ayu in there, and then I think the next only other player in the penalty area is James Bacartha with five Wolves defenders. So, you know, we've arguably if we put that chance away, we're one nil up, and we're playing really well. You know the whole picture changes, but Ed, we're not really giving ourselves a chance, are we? If the mentality is not to, you know, not to, to go for it, even that early in the game and just take risks and get people in the box for a cross. If you see Wilfred Zaha running down the right, taking on a defender, surely there's got to be more than one or two players. We're thinking I better get in that penalty area. You mean, you'd like to think so. wouldn't you? I mean, if I'm playing centre midfield and like you say, you see Zaha one-on-one with a fullback, I'm thinking, yeah, eight times, nine times out of ten, Wolf beats his man. I'm a buster gut to get there and hit that run, gamble on it, because, you know, you might hit that run, gamble on it however many times, but the one time you do it's a, a tap in at the back post. And it was just a bit, it was, for all the possession, it was just slow yesterday, too sort of methodical. We didn't move the ball quick enough when we were going sort of side to side and through the midfield. We didn't move it quick enough. That's how you open up space is when you move the ball faster and you move it through the midfield and from side to side as they are shifting across to defend and their midfield's moving across to screen their back four. That's how you open up pockets of space. But if it's all very slow and methodical, Wolves were just happy to sit with their three centre-backs, the wing-backs, the three sort of central midfielders in front, just screening across in front, cutting any balls out to Wolves' feet. And it was just too easy for him. There wasn't anyone that was sort of prepared to try and make that killer pass. And when we tried to, it was tame or it's just very easily cut out. Or if occasionally we did make it, someone's first touch would let them down and the ball would run away from them. And it was just, it was a bit boring to watch at times, which is not something you can normally level at Palace, whether it's going well or it's going badly. It's normally (laughs) entertaining, but... Yeah, I, I mean, I go. You know, you talk about the, the sort of the, how slow it was, and that certainly wasn't something you'd label at Palace last season. So I don't know what's happened no. over over the summer with this this attitude of, you know, trying to, I don't know, trying to 
just keep possession and build play. It doesn't really sort of fit in with, with what we were doing last season. It must be some new philosophy that's clearly not working. Uh, Chris, you wanted to jump in. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Chris. Uh, and all, all it is is just an, an observation based on um, you know, the conversation you've just had with Ed about the um, style here. And you, you asked earlier, what what is the plan? And the only thing that I can think is, obviously, we don't have Benteke at the moment due to an injury. And I know a lot of people will um, want to howl me down when I say that we, we do clearly really miss him in terms of the option that he gives, because it means if you don't have him, you can't play that target man ball. And, you know, we'll, we'll come on later on to the, the very late free kick where Hennessy plays the ball um, over the top to no one and it goes back to their keeper um if you've got a target man you can play that type of football without that you need a different option and clearly at the moment what we're trying to do is play the ball on the ground that's fine but it isn't working so you know that that all i wanted to come in and say was we're missing benteke we don't have that option of, of playing with a target man and that's what we need to be looking at is what is our alternative i think the 4-4-2 with townsend zaha is the other option we've got, although people have figured that out. And, you know, maybe when Benteke comes back, we can move back to a, a shape that works in a different way. Now, it's, it's funny, you know, again, you're far from the only person who's mentioned the fact we're missing Benteke. And obviously everyone was crying out to drop him before his injury as well, which is, you know, deeply ironic. Um, and it's interesting also, people who, should we say, don't really have a particularly high working knowledge of Palace players are saying, well, Without Benteke, why aren't you playing Serloff? Because it's exactly the type of player. Now, I think most of us who watch Palace would say Alex Serloff is, you know, at best a, a season of football away from being able to compete for a place in the team uh, and at worst might never be capable of doing so, depending on people's opinions. But it isn't, you're, you're absolutely right. And it goes back to what I was saying at the start. But, you know, that's. That's how we've we've decided to approach it, and it's it, you know it's it's been baffling people, and, and there we are. Uh, go on, quick, Ed, and then we'll we'll move this on. Yeah, just quickly, I was just going to say you mentioned Serlock. I think yesterday's the substitution. It was it the third substitution? I think tells you what you need to know about him and how much Roy does or doesn't rate him when the final substitution, rather than throwing on another striker like Serlock for the last whatever it was, five or ten minutes that um, we brought Coyote on rather than bring on an out-and-out centre-forward when you're 1-0 down at home. I think well, we, the... we, did bring him on, we did bring him on with eight minutes yeah, to go. Yeah, with eight minutes to go, so the second sub. So we put, we, we yank Ayu off. So, I mean, naturally you would think you're taking your, one of your strikers yeah. off, you're going to put another slightly different striker on, big guy, put some balls into the box. But the preferred change that comes ahead of that is a, a midfielder for him, so... Either Roy's still annoyed at the free kick he gave away at the end of the Bournemouth game, or he uh, shares shares our opinions on uh, him as a striker and how close he <laughs> yeah. is to being being ready for us. I think Def- definitely seems that way. Um, but there we are. Look, we, you know, we obviously we're, we're we were, we you know we we created a couple of bits um, elsewhere in the first half. There was obviously the wheel for chance, but um, Wolves had a, a, a quite a. Well, sort of a couple of quick chances in a row. Um, so f- first of all, it was we had a free kick, and again, set plate at the moment. Just some, you know, I've, I've said in my notes, there's somebody needs to learn how to hit a dead ball and fast. And Mayer looked half decent uh, against Bournemouth, hitting a hitting a dead ball. But I don't know what's happened. We're 
we still not scored from a set piece, um, which is uh, terrible, absolutely terrible. Um, but uh, I think it was just one of those things, you know, you, you could see from this chance how Wolves were set up. They were there to surrender a bit of possession to us. Uh, they knew we, we were str- going to struggle to hurt them. We hadn't scored at home. And we had, we really do struggle to break teams down. And it's just, you know, Jimenez drilled it wide. It, it wasn't anywhere near as threatening as his second chance. Um, but it was a little bit of an early warning sign that we had to watch out for, for Wolves on the break and how quickly they like to switch play. But, um, but I'm, I'm moaning about the free kicks. But shortly after this, Townsend, who I've just noted in my uh, notes that he was wearing a knee support. And I'm, you know, wondering maybe if he's because he, you know, he struggled a little bit, and we'll talk about that now, really. But he put in a decent cross uh, after oh, you won a free kick well on the right hand side. I think the Wolves keeper gets a, a good hand to it to push it out. Lands with Schlupp blazes over pretty decent chance actually, and again that that changes the game. But I want to take this opportunity to discuss Andros Townsend, and I'll, I'll, I'll use you to do that, Tim. Great performance in the cup against West Brom, amongst a, a season where once again. So far, eight games in, he's he's contributed effort, but nothing really massive in terms of end product uh, from the right-hand side. Oh, and, and some people suggesting that his defensive efforts have sort of waned a little bit over the last few weeks. Uh, we're certainly not seeing the best of Townsend, I guess, but at the same time, you know, is he still worth his place in the side? Uh, it's difficult at the moment because I don't know what else you do if you don't play him. Um, you know he's got the ability to to unlock defences, but at the moment he's just seeming to do that same old thing where he cuts back inside. He's he's probably looking for a shot, um, but very rarely does he get that opportunity um, to get that kind of effort like he did against Liverpool. Um, and he's certainly not not being very productive in terms of service to to anyone in the box. I mean, having said that. Um, I did notice a couple of times when he was breaking away, there was no one in the box. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, help, so there's no support. So it's kind of, I feel, I feel a bit sorry for him in that he's like we keep going back to Loftus Cheek. When Loftus Cheek was in the side, he gave that like bit of a link in the the forward play. Um, you know, he was always there. Uh, we kind of criticised perhaps his defensive duties at times, but at least he was there when we were attacking. Uh, and I think you know, yesterday there was that classic moment when AU won that free kick. Um, and it was because he had no, no one no one there at all so he just had to sort of shepherd the ball into the corner and then do that little trick and go past and he was fouled but it, there were no options so you know it's very difficult um, at the moment when you've got the midfield and not, not really supporting um, you know the forward play or the forwards aren't in the right place No I, I think it's a really good point you raised there Tim because in, in all these times where people analyse players it's very easy to look at their individual performances without looking at what's happening around them, you know, and quite often I, I do feel a little bit sorry for Townsend because he's playing out on the right where he, where he wants to play. He has that option, as you say, of, of cutting back in and looking for a shot, but, you know, play the t- teams know that. So they're, when it, you know, whoever's up against him knows straight away, as soon as he comes back on in his left foot, just make sure he cannot get a shot away and that, that negates that threat. So he's clearly worked on, on crossing with his right foot because he's put in some wonderful crosses this season. But there's just literally been nothing there. So I go back to game plan again. And it's how how we we're not helping our players, we're hanging our players out to dry when when there's nothing. There's, he's not serving a purpose by running up the wing at the moment. He really isn't. You know, he's he'd be better served just coming in field where everyone else is and just trying to and he, and he does that at times. And it's funny that 
the two best performances I've seen of his this season have been in the cup off the bench against Swansea, where he came in and played like Eden Hazard. Uh, and then again uh, against West Brom, where he was the standout performer because he had responsibility and he had, you know, a, a team that, that worked. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. With him and wasn't focused elsewhere on the pitch. Chris? In my notes on the game yesterday, I, I mentioned Townsend on three occasions. And the first time was just a note that he was carrying the ball forward a lot. So, you know, in in that sense, that supports your analysis that, you know, he hasn't been contributing very much with what he's been doing. However, um, in the second half, I note there are, there are only two other reference to him, references to him in my notes. And one of them is that he it was him, it was Townsend, who crossed to Meyer, um, which led to the incredible shot from Meyer. Um, yeah. And that, that then led to a save from Schlupp as well. And then secondly, um, Townsend was the one who took the free kick and that Kiate headed back across the box. Um, and right. yeah, and that Schlupp, again, yeah, wasn't able to convert. Um, but what that shows, I think, is that Townsend lacks options and support and that he's a better player when he's got better players around him. So again, it supports what we're saying, which is that, you know, you, you need to put our best players on the pitch alongside the other better players who are already playing and then things will change. Now that's, that's great stuff there, Chris, because that, that proves the point really, doesn't it? it? You know, it shows you that he's a great creator of chances if there's people to hit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in, in the, again, it goes back to this whole thing, game plan, bravery, attitude, mentality, all these things that we're, we're questioning because we're watching a team that is underperforming. And, and honestly, there can be no doubt about that. This, this Palace team in this opening eight games of the season has underperformed. And, and anyone who's, who says that that's not the case is not watching Palace properly, in my view, because it's, you know, it's obvious. It's there for all of us to see. And really, if you analyse the two games we did win, you know, it could be a whole lot worse. And there's all this focus, uh, particularly when the media talk about it, of, well, you know, they had a better start than last season. Well, you know, let's let's see what happens in the next eight games, because unless we do something quickly... Uh, to to change and to you know just to just to be a different prospect for teams because at the moment it's very easy to play against Palace and that's that's something that really does worry me. Um, I did also want to take this opportunity to talk a little bit about Jordan Ayew. Um, so again, a few people are, are saying he's in the kind of uh, Jermaine Easter slash I don't know, I'm not going to say Calvin Andrew, but he's you know he's in the barely functional striker kind of signings area. Uh, again, I've seen him have one very good game. Um, and he, he had moments in, in this game, Ed, where he did really contribute because 
you know, there was a couple of occasions where he got three defenders in the, in the channels. But I've got to ask a, a serious question here: is he a, is he a striker? You know, is he actually a forward, or is this a is he another wide forward in the in the sense of perhaps you know a, a Wilfred Zaha or a you know even an Andros Townsend? He's he's not he's not really a, a central striker in my view from from the attributes that he has as much as he can hold it up. Yeah, I'd have to. I haven't seen a lot of him play pre him playing for Palace, but from what I've seen so far, I'd be inclined to agree with you. I mean, if he's a striker, I don't know what to, what type of striker he is because he's not a you know a sort of Dwight Gale, you know, always looking for the channels, lethal if he gets an opportunity, and he's not a big guy either, like a Ben Teke. So if he if he is a striker, I don't know what sort of striker he is, and I don't think the players around him particularly know either because. They're not entirely sure how to sort of, at least with Benteke, you know, you know, Andros has the option to go down, go down the outside because he can do one of his sort of crosses off his right foot where he just stands it up in the area because he knows Benteke's got a half decent chance of meeting it and he knows he can still go inside and look to play through there. But I think the amount of Andros, especially just always cutting inside yesterday, I just don't think he ever wanted to go to the byline and cross because he knew no. what was what was waiting was in the box was you know Jordan Ayew against those big lump centre backs they had he's not going to win anything and yeah three of so, them as well <laughs> yes if he if he is a striker I don't know what sort of striker he is, is it, I have to it say doesn't, it doesn't look promising I think he mm. is going to go into the Calvin Andrew Cameron Jerome <laughs> lots of effort yeah. not a great deal of end product or goals. Mm. Uh, I definitely you can't you can't fault him for effort, you know. No, I, for me, he's, he's crying out for someone alongside him, isn't he? Really, properly yeah. alongside him. I, mean. I think so, but I mean, you can't fault him for effort. But if you gave me a shirt and sent me, put me up front on Saturday, I'd have run my nuts off, but I wouldn't have scored any goals. I've still seen you play at Sellers, mate. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, it's we we get in a, a half time, Jensen. I, there were a couple of other bits that I've skipped, but. Uh, obviously, there was the one great save from um, from Wayne Hennessy to mention that when um, Jimenez beat the offside trap, uh, great drilled shot, and Wayne has just come out, spread himself brilliantly, and then outstretched left arm uh, has deflected the ball away. Otherwise, would have been one nil down going in at half time, no doubt about that. So, top save from uh, Wayne Hennessy there. Uh, getting the half time, seventy percent possession, seventy percent. I've never seen anything like it from a Palace team. Zero to show for it. Um, and really, when you have that much of the ball and you aren't creating, you know, at least double figures in terms of decent chances, it shows that it's a, it's a very misleading stat. You know, you have to really view possession with chances created. Otherwise, it, it doesn't mean anything at all. Um, and it was, you know, no one went in at half time thinking, oh, how unlucky were we to play so well, uh, apart from Seaman Leroy, um, which is a worry. So... There you go. Um, obviously a very negative <laughs> review so far, and I don't think it's going to get any better, but we'll see if we can find any shafts of light. But I'm, I'm looking at my notes, and I don't think I've got any. Um, we get into the start of the second half. Straight away, again, are you doing well down the right? This, for me, was was the moment of the, of, of the, of the game for us. This was where we were going to win it or lose it, in, in my view. And I, I, I just had this feeling because... As soon as I as Ayu got free, Wilf takes up a great position, just drops off the defence on the edge of the box, and he just waits for the ball. And it is a toe end from the cutback from Ayu who sees him, an absolute toe end from the defender. 
And although we have a little bit of a scramble after that, you know, we never really get a, a proper chance. Lucas has a sort of tame shot, at, lands uh, lands at the foot of, I think, Jeff Slough, who might have got forward, and he can't quite put the ball in for a chance, and it gets cleared. But but for the toe end of a defender, that would have gone straight to Wilf, and I have very little doubt that he'd have finished that. Um, but it's typical, you know, we, we, we sort of, we have that moment, and then, we just let the game drift for the next 10 minutes. Again, no real urgency, no real desire to get ahead. It's almost as if we're saying, well, if we get a chance to win it, great. If we don't, we ain't going to lose. It's a point. It's a nil-nil, you know. And then as soon as you start playing like that, you will get hit with that sucker punch. And 55 minutes in, we get hit. Now, guys, I'm going to ramble for a bit, and then I want your views on everything that I said. Because um, I've looked at this goal a lot. Because when it when it went in when I was watching it originally, I just couldn't understand how easy it was. And and anyone I've only watched Wolves in highlights, okay? But what I've seen is generally speaking, Doherty has a hand in a lot of what they do. So you you know, if you must you must have scouted Wolves and you must know that. So you it's, it it infuriates me that Doherty is left one on one versus PVA anyway. But basically Wolves have a have the ball um, on the right hand side as a throw on, okay? And there's a bit of scrappy play. And we're trying to we're trying to get a, a foot in and, and a challenge, and it's all a bit, you know, all a bit scrappy. And then I kind of freeze framed freeze framed it just before the ball breaks to uh, Ruben Neves, who who plays the the pass out the initial pass out of Doherty. And you've got <clears throat> excuse me, you've got Palace's two forwards in Zaha and Ayu. Uh, back in their own half. Um, you've got Townsend, who's out on the right, looking potentially for a break if we nick the ball, but still very, very close to the action. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then you've got our entire other, well, the rest of our entire midfield, the, the three, all within 20 yards of each other, all ball watching. No one, no one with a player, but everyone all bunched up on that right-hand side. You know, like a school football team where everyone runs after the ball. And the player who should be backing up his teammate, Patrick Van Arnholt, Jeffrey Schlupp, is the furthest left, but he's still on the right-hand side of the centre of the pitch. Again, not marking anyone, not really doing anything. The ball, as it hit, runs out to Neves, you can see Jeffrey Schlupp start a, a slow jog, but he's, he's essentially watching Neves play a pass. Now, it's a good pass, straight straight to the feet of Doherty. is not going to cut it out, he has to just let it happen. Doherty's first touch is great, moves inside PVA, knocks the ball into Jimenez, you know, and they play a really good one too. You, you can't really can't really have a go at PVA for that, right? It's a difficult thing to defend against. If you're on your own and, and a team player one two against you, you to, to, you know, you're not gonna be able to turn quickly enough to, to get back in there. And he's a very quick player and he almost got back to block the chance. But you know, Doherty's absolutely free with that movement. And and then obviously drills it through Wayne. You could argue Wayne's could Wayne could do better to be beat in that position, but really the mistakes have happened long before then. Okay, so that's my description of it. And I'm gonna focus on Jeffrey Schlupp because he has never really he's not sprinted. He's not he's not seen, oh my god, you know what? I've left my teammate completely isolated over there. I've got to get you know, it's my job, my responsibility to get the hell over there. He's just jogging in central midfield and he ends back alongside Luca in the 18-yard box, marking nobody. 
and, and then you know what's the what's the point in that? What, what are you doing? You know, how are you helping your team by doing that? And then you look at the, the situation as the ball hits the back of the net. You've got five of the six Palace players in the box, box, not botch. That's something else. Watching Doherty score. Wambasaka is marking someone at the far post. The others, nothing. Absolutely nothing. So I've got so many questions. I'm like, what, what are we doing? What's the plan there? How are we defending that? Who's taking responsibility for organising anything? And more importantly, where is Jeff Schlupp supposed to be playing? Why is he over there? So, hands up. Who wants to uh, pick the bones out of that one? Ed. Thanks. Uh, I think from looking at that goal, there's... Like, there's four th- sort of things for me that are not great and have not gone well. One is Schlupp, like I said earlier, and you've raised it there. My only possible explanation, because Roy obviously wouldn't give us one, of why Schlupp is playing, been picked for this team ahead of my areas, that he wanted to have the width to deal with the fullbacks. Well, then he's not doing it, is he? Because, like we said, he's just left. PVA one on one with that fullback, and he is drifted. He's probably not far off in line with the sort of centre spot. So yep. when that switch goes in, he needs to clock. Oh, I am, you know, Patrick's on his own there, and get across to him quick to do, try and help him out with a fullback. The second one, when that ball goes into the centre forward's feet, Sacco's too slow to clock that. The guy sort of runs just off his shoulder past him and goes in and shows for his feet. And Sacco's too, doesn't clock it quick enough. He doesn't have enough sort of intensity about him to get right up the guy's ass on him. Because actually with the Wolves player, the amount of time he has, the centre forward, he brings it in, takes a touch. He does a little half turn, sees the run from the fullback going for the one-two and just has enough time to just gently roll it in. If Sacco's right up his backside putting him under pressure there, there's a chance that he can't do that half turn and play the ball in as perfectly for the fullback or Sacco gets one of his, his foot in as the guy tries to go for a half turn and he cuts that out. So there's just not enough sort of urgency almost from Sacco to go, oh, he's going in for his feet, I'll get right up the the back of him and stop any, you know, in playing off anyone because that's what a centre forward in the box when he goes to show feet like that, he's going to look to play off for people to play off him. So he needs to be sort of right touch tight up uh, on the back of him. And then PVA, I know you say there's not much PVA, you can, and there probably isn't much he can do. But if you watch it, he does, he sort of hesitates as he, as uh, Doherty or Doherty, isn't it, that plays it into the, yeah, yeah. he almost, there's a couple of, a second or so where he goes, to, he runs to where the ball's gone, as if he's yes, going to yeah. go in and, and, because Sacco's not tight enough on that centre forward, he sort of goes to where the ball's gone thinking, oh, should I go and do that? And then he realises he can't because the guy's going for a... And by that point, he's sort of... T- so the run where he goes in to f- fill the space by the... It makes it look like he has a massive like turning circle of a bus. Rather than... <laughs> he's, as soon as the guy gives the ball and he realises that uh, wing-back's on his bike, he should just go with his runner. Let the centre-halves yeah. and the midfielders deal with that guy in there. Just go with your runner. So at least... I mean, the guy's got the run on you because you've got a turn, but at least you can be putting him under some pressure when he receives the ball. Try and force him a bit wide and give us half a chance. And then it's, I mean, like we said, I mean, he does get beaten at his near post if we're looking to be super critical of him, which is harsh because he did make some big, other big saves in the game. But, he, you know, 
he does still get done at his near post, that sort of angle. Yeah. That sort of angle, there's not many places the guys you know, should beat you at. If you, your near post, if you cover one thing, cover your near post. If the guy rockets it, absolute top bins across you, then you hold, or above you, rockets it into the roof of that, then you hold your hands up a bit and say, oh, it's a great finish, but there's yeah, one I mean, thing. There's we, one thing you've got to cover there. Cover your near post, for God's sake. But yeah, you, you can't be you can't be afraid to to you know criticise Annecy despite the fact of you know of his of his recent turnaround in form. I think this that you know there's there's still a weakness there at times. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think I he think, should have done yeah. better there. But. but there we go. Well, good stuff, Ed. And look, it's it's incredibly frustrating. Um, we you know we we go one nil down, and then we start seeing the changes Chris it's you know quite quite soon afterwards then we see Max Mayer come on for, for James MacArthur and the thing is with that you're like we've been moaning previous weeks oh you're not quick enough to make changes he's made a change really quickly there but the problem is it's the change that everyone wanted from the start anyway and we're reacting after going a goal down we're not reacting before it we're not you know, I'm not necessarily saying that should have been a, a personnel change at half time, but you should have we should have seen some sort of a shift to try and get us more opportunities. So, you know, obviously, I take it you 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 think Mayer for Macarthur was the right move, or should it be Mayer for Slub? Well, I'd, I'd take both of them out. That's the thing. I mean, Macarthur <laughs> Macarthur goes for um, Mayer, but also I, I think you, you also take Schlupp out and put Kiate in. You know, look at. I mean, this is two games in a row, three games in a row now, actually, thinking back to Southampton um, as well, where they have been immeasurably better, you know, and the team has played immeasurably better the moment that they've come on. So um, they they need they need to start next time. And the problem is I have no faith that Roy is actually going to take that into account even in two weeks' time. You know, I, I have a distinct fear that Schluck will still start the next game. Um, and you know, I'm maybe, maybe I'm Jimmy Mac. I don't. It's not that I want to see Jimmy Mac dropped. It's just that there's someone better there, you know, in the form of Mayer. So we've got to have one of those, preferably both. And you know, they, they need to start games. And I think, you know, the frustrating thing about it is that it's so obvious. You said two thousand fans. You know, I mean, I was once again in the Victory Club beforehand, and this was the talk of the town. Was you know, are we going to see it today? And it still didn't happen. And I just don't believe that it's going to happen in two weeks' time when we play Everton either. No, I, I understand the point. And I think there's probably another, you know, 25,000 fans in Sellers Park. I should I should add to the 2,000 as well. But yeah, look, it, it is, I totally take your point. And I think it, it proves the point that, you know, shortly afterwards, uh, when IU came off and Coyote came on, it was then that the team really improved and really looked like you know, getting back into the game, but it's just too late by that point. You know, again, we're at home. We're talking about, you know, we try, we've got to try to break teams down. We shouldn't be doing that when we're 1-0 down <laughs> against a team that's quite happy to soak up the pressure. We saw it, you know, Newcastle probably could have nicked the game um, in, in exactly the same way. And you think, well, how can you not learn from the from the previous match? You know, the, the, the opposition manager literally has to turn up and go, right, uh, this lot played this way against them last last time out at, at Sellers Park, so off you go, just do that. Um, and it's a, it's a guaranteed win at the moment. It's uh, well, at least a, a at least a draw because we can't can't seem to put the ball in the net. And look, you know, we were 
again, it's frustrating because we started to actually put a bit of pressure on after this. You know, again, we initially we was a little bit of a struggle to create anything, and you could see that in Townsend's uh, long range effort um, about the hour mark where he just he took a first time shot, and he, yeah, it was a surprise, but it, it wasn't really going in. You think you know, there's a bit of frustration in him in there, and we finally we get we get a bit of a moment later on in that second half. Zaha finally kind of fires a little bit. Works really well with Wambasaka on the right-hand side. They put Townsend clear. And the one you were talking about earlier, Chris, where Townsend crosses to Max Mayer. Great first-time volley, blocked by the keeper. And Jeffrey Schlupp follows up. But those are big chances. And Mayer does fantastically <laughs> to create that situation, doesn't he? You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously it's a good, it's a good cross from Townsend. Mayer takes it really well. Um, it's a bit too near the keeper, but there's a hell of a lot of power on that. And the rebound when it comes back, you know, Schlupp's not really the player you want that dropping to, to be honest. No, he's not. He's, he's you know, he's scored one goal this season, but he's not a, he's not the guy like you say, the guy you want it to drop to. But uh, go on, Ed, you want to jump in there? Just say on that chance that. Is that cross set where Andrew stands it up with his right, and that's what Mayer in the team, a midfielder arriving late into the box, making that yeah. run, willing to be able to do it, and that's a incredibly difficult skill on his wrong foot to pick that out of the air. And like Chris said, a bit close to keeper, he gets great connection on it, but yeah, it drops to Jeff Slap. And can you can you imagine if that was Christian Benteke that that dropped to and he missed that chance, <laughs> he would get absolutely punted yeah. for that, wouldn't he? Yeah, he would, yeah. No, I think it's, it's it's great the way you both describe that, and again, particularly what you say Ed, about the the midfielder arriving late to do that. And, and Tim, I'm going to ask you this question because we're talking about that from Max Mayer as a as kind of a well, that's the class that he gives you. But do you know what? There's there's nothing stopping any of the other midfielders doing that, is there? You know, Luke was more than capable of a long range striking and getting forward and taking a chance. But if he's not doing it, and not screening, then, then surely someone else in the midfield can do that, right? So is it? Is it, again, is this a mentality thing? I think it's now got to confidence. So the fact we hadn't scored at Sellers Park this season um, would have played on their minds a bit. I mean, I think with Luca, he's had a few free kicks in uh, recent games, which have been okay, but not really, not really troubled the keepers. And I just think, you know, those chances he did, he had, you know, had that snapshot start the second half, wasn't really much conviction in the shot. I think it, it had to be Mayer in that position. Um, to have that chance really to um, you know go that close, and I think you know we saw with with the chances that Schlopp had, he had about three great chances where the balls rebounded to him, and he's you know not really done much with all three to be honest. I mean that that one we just described, the keepers had to make a save, but you know yeah, like if the midfielders on form, they fly in the back of the net, and and Luca's probably the biggest disappointment in that his goal tally last year wasn't just from penalties, was it? He had a couple of great efforts, yeah. you know, long-range efforts like the one at Southampton. He doesn't look close to getting that at the moment. I think he needs one that comes off, you know, a big deflection and goes in um, to sort of kick-start his season in that term, really. Sure. Um, just have a quick look at the time. We better uh, better sort of start closing this down and get into some of the contacts so we can end this at some sort of a reasonable uh, length. But, um, you know, again, I, I, that was obviously the, the slup chances were our, our best chances um, in the in the second half to to get something out of the game, Wolves did hit the bar, but by that point we're we're pushing, and obviously it's a really late move to put Alexander Serlot on for for Jeffrey Slip. Eight minutes to try and do something, not really doing him any favours doing that. To be honest with you, end up pushing James Tompkins up front, and then all of a sudden we stop putting the ball in the box. 
And we end up with Zaha long shot deflected, which is our sort of last chance of the game. And I've put in the notes here, Roy, in inverted commas, we played well, Hodgson. And it's just a bit of a bugbear of mine. I, I never really want to place too much uh, emphasis on what's said in both pre-match and post-match press conferences um, because I think managers will just say various different cliches and it doesn't really bear any real resemblance to what, what's being said off the pitch. But what I will say is when it do, it is it does annoy a lot of people, and me included, when Roy Hudson says that we've played well when we haven't. Um, but more importantly, it's what bears out on the pitch is how you judge it. And it does feel like every week Roy's saying, well, uh, we were unlucky last week, guys. Carry on as you are, where we really need to do something different. But I'd like to have discussed that more, gents, but um, we haven't really got the time to do so. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump into a bit of contact now and I'll be asking each of you a variety of questions. Um, I'm not going to ask Nick's, Nick Gillard's question. He just says what the F is going on. Uh, comment from Stefan here. who's saying, I'm not angry. I think fans are overreacting. Uh, we look okay all over the pitch until he says that they're attacking central midfielder, centre forward area. Apart from the players that are out of form, Roy always improved second half of the season. Deserves our faith and should have learnt from previous seasons under him and Pulis not to panic early. Tim, that's pretty much the Mikey comment as well. It was winding you up. How do you feel about that? Yeah, but this was supposed to be the season. I know we say every season. It's like Groundhog Day. But this really was supposed to be the season where we kicked on. Um, and let's be honest, we should have been doing what Wolves are doing now. You know, being that high up the table or Bournemouth even. You know, we should be that fifth, sixth position with the games that we've had. Uh, this was a really good opportunity with a kind fixture list to sort of get, you know, loads of points on the board and get off that cracking start. And that's what disappoints me the most, that we've wasted that opportunity. And the chances are now we probably will get points of one of the big sides, but it's just the fact we had that opportunity and we've wasted it. I mean, I think we were all fairly confident that, you know, this was going to be our year, weren't we? We were talking about, you know, could we get into that top six or, you know... And that, you know the Fulham game was perfect that first game of the season, and it's just kind of gone downhill ever since, really. Yeah, I think I could probably get we could all get that as a tattoo though. This is going to be our year uh, under a Palace badge or something similar. Uh, we always seem to have some sort of thing, but I think we don't really cope very well with uh, with the sort of the boredom as well of ending the Premier League season. Well, we you know we had, we ended most Premier League seasons in sort of mid or lower mid table. Which you'd say it's weird to say that you know eight years ago, um, you'd have been sitting there going, oh, you would give anything, anything to be a side that just sat in the, you know, ended up in the middle of the Premier League after a relegation battle for a lot of the season. But it just goes to show it, you know, things do change. You do get ambition, is a thing, <laughs> you know. And uh, I don't know. I, I understand that. I, I'm not one to panic. Um, but what I do like to see is, you know, some sort of action when things are going wrong and progress as well it's about progress well, you know progression you know well, we, we're at a stage now we should be progressing well I, I saw a similar comment from albert in our chat and I, I don't again we haven't got a huge amount of time so i won't dwell too much on this but it was sort of saying well after six years in the premier league we should you know the board have done a terrible job if we're still struggling for relegation you kind of think well yeah if, if you look in isolation at that as a but when you look at the premier league as a whole and and who you know, three teams have to get relegated every year, and it isn't the three teams that come up, is it? Every year, so 
it's very difficult. It's very, it's an over, in my view, it's an overly simplistic thing to say you have, you, it, you're going to be able to progress every year. You've got to try, obviously, and, and you, and fans will want to see that. But you're always up against what other teams do. You know, you particularly look at it this season as well with, you know, the money spent by the teams that got promoted, other than Cardiff, who have just sort of gone, yeah, well, let's just get relegated. Um, you know, you kind of, you kind of look at Wolves and Fulham and the money they've spent. And you just think, well, you know, <laughs> there's nothing certain about anything. It doesn't matter. You know, I think 20th up to the very least 8th, anyone could be in a relegation battle. And also, you've got the whole kind of, you know, you'd look at Charlton's situation because they were that yeah. team, weren't they? That yeah, yeah. They did it the other way around. They used to get the points on the board early doors and then basically, once they got their 40 points, they struggled at the end of the season. Uh, and I think their fans got bored. And I think that's the danger, isn't it? That we do a Charlton and then, you know, don't come back. There's, there's a multitude of teams that go, right, it's time for us to get to that next level. And then the next level turns out to be the championship. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's that's the challenge. That's the challenge for the players, the manager and the board. So uh, anyway, uh, I'm sure that's a topic we'll return to. Um, Ed, just quickly on this one, Ryan Corbett, sack Roy by Christmas if things haven't improved. I'd sell Zaha next window, maximise profit on extra players and build the team around Mayer. Uh, I guaranteed relegation. I think if you do that, <laughs> pretty, pretty <laughs> much, <laughs> good answer. Hey, brave, <laughs> brave yeah, I mean, It's ballsy. I'll give him that. But um, <laughs> yeah, um, this isn't champ- this okay. is championship manager. It's, it's real life. I think that would be a suicide. Yeah. But there we go. Okay, Chris, you've got a you've got a question from Mike Clark. Are we scared of shooting or just overplaying in an attempt to score good goals, not just scoring? For me, we've definitely overplayed at times yesterday and lacked the tempo going forward. And obviously, he's observed as we did that we were better when uh, Maya and Coyote came on. So, are we overplaying? Yeah, can't disagree that we're taking an extra touch when we don't need to. And I mean, you could see it. I had a good chance um, in the first half coming down uh, towards my end of the ground, and he took an extra touch and tried to cross it rather than having a shot. He's he's the one player who is supposed to be our striker. And, I mean, I said in a previous podcast that the stats don't lie. We're eight games in, we've scored five goals. You know, we have a problem here, and it needs to be addressed quickly. Okay, thanks, Chris. Uh, just a couple of comments I'll run through. Ross Phillips uh, sharing our frustration, uh, but interestingly saying that we can't. why can't we just cross the ball in the box like we used to? Uh, I have to say, yeah, our, our crossing has got worse. And he's saying too much passing and side, sideways and backwards, no creativity. Get the ball in the box. That would be nice. Uh, certainly at times yesterday where it was crying out for it, but nice if we got some players into the box as well to convert anything we put in there. Uh, Quentin's got in touch, not raging, just very concerned. We seem tillerless, devoid of ideas. Good use of tillerless there. Uh, Liam and Andrew have had a good conversation about Roy there. Uh, Liam's talking a lot about the fact that possession means nothing without creating chances. Uh, Andrew said stats mean nothing if you don't put the ball in there, agreeing with that. Uh, and then Liam following the comment with Kabai has not been replaced, Loftus-Cheek not been replaced, uh, striker still not found, and we need a creative number 10 style midfielder since we signed Kabai, and we're still waiting. Uh, Andrew agreeing with that, and I'm agreeing with that as well, Liam. That's, that's, that's a fair comment. Uh Sorry. Uh, yeah, Andrew, adding to that point as well, saying how angry he is. It's been over 18 months we've been seeking a striker. The only thing that, uh, in terms that will score regularly, I will say that that's, it is a difficult thing to find. It really is. When you're talking about money, 
you're talking about trying to find someone. Everyone's like, oh, get me a 20 goal a season in the Premier League. Have a look at how many of those actually exist. Uh, very difficult. But you'd like to imagine in 18 months we could have at least found more than... Uh, well, we had Benteke with his one season of 17 goals, which was decent. And obviously he's just fallen apart since then. So difficult stuff when you're all your eggs in one basket. Um, Ryan Gillam being very critical of Andros Townsend. Obviously, we talked about Townsend. Uh, Keith Madge Diamond observing that we've made Palace always make it hard for themselves, uh, but saying we need to be proactive and not reactive all the time. Um, that's that's great there. Loads of other stuff. I'm really sorry I can't get to it all. Otherwise, this show will go on forever. Um, I do want to take a couple of comments off of Twitter. Um, but before I do, I'm going to give you this one. Tim, we have sort of talked about it. Uh, Peter Hostashny. Um, slate me or hate me, but we miss Benteke. He's our only Premier League striker right now. Hope he'll be fit as soon as soon as possible. Are you also in the we miss Benteke or really want him back category? Yeah, hundred percent. I think it's proven over the last few games how we just missed that focal point up front. Um, I think this is where we need to, you know, perhaps give Benteke a bit more credit than what he's been get, you know, that he's had um, up until now. Obviously, he's not been scoring the goals, but he does bring a lot to the team in terms of uh, holding the ball up and getting Wilf involved and, and Townsend. And, you know, I think we look more dangerous with him in the side, to be honest. Yeah, no, fair point. Um, Chris, take this one for me. The question, uh, I've lost it. It's from Mr. Cabris Parrot, who's one of my <laughs> favourite tweeters because of his name. Uh, second half, all Wolves did was to chase down Sako and Tompkins, so Hennessy had to punt upfield to their giant defence. What should Roy have done to combat this tactic? That's hard. Um, <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> Thanks for that. Um, what, play it round the side. I mean, you know, rather than playing it long, because we didn't have a target man, so that should not be a tactic that we're even trying to do. Play it round... I mean, we've got two really high-quality fullbacks in Aaron Wambasaka and Patrick Van Arnholt. They can carry the ball forward, and you know if you've got the right midfielders who sh- who have got a bit of dynamism, they can carry it forward as well. You know, Lucas used to be able to do that, isn't doing it at the moment. Kiyate can do it. Townsend, I used the words carrying forward earlier on about him, um, and obviously Maya can do it. So I think yeah, there's a way of solving that problem, but you know the problem is it needs a bit of mental agility, and at the moment I'm not seeing that. No, good answer. I won't expand on that any further for time issues, but good stuff. Uh, Steve Foster got in touch. He's saying, is it silly that I feel so frustrated with the club at the moment? Uh, basically getting into the same issues that we were discussing just a moment ago, where he's saying it feels like year on year, we never build on anything and are suffering from the similar some similar issues. So kind of doing the same thing and not changing it, that kind of stuff. And uh, Steve, I think you can tell from this podcast that it's not silly. We, we all kind of feel exactly like that as well. Um Good, well, Pete Windsor obviously shares your views, Ed, on the four-two-three-one. He says, what happened to four-two-three-one? Benteke scored under that. We have a potential number 10 in Mayer. We are crying out for that when we with that number 10 when we played it before. So very quick answer from you. Is Max Mayer that number 10 that could play in that system that would make it brilliant? I think quite possibly. I definitely think it's something we should uh, certainly explore that as a rather than just keep plugging away with the same four-four-two that it's very rigid and we're not creating a great deal of chances for, I think Pete makes a very valid point that the issue with it before was the potential lack of a number 10. And 
we've got Mayer, so I think he very well could fill that void and we'll get the best out of Wilf and Ben Teke. Okay, Martin's got in touch and said lack of goals is the problem. What's the answer? Not folding for that, Martin. That's too difficult a question. <laughs> Way too difficult a question. Um, Martin, Martin Barry's asking, can we jump straight to December? Probably in terms of points, I suspect we will completely bypass everything to December at this rate. <laughs> hey, let's not get too, too, let's not get too negative. I'm getting ahead of myself, aren't I? Really? <laughs> uh, oh, loads more questions. Again, I'm gonna have to apologize for not getting to them all. Um, Lord Joe Lee reckons the next few games 15 points if Benteke comes back. Love that optimism. Optimism. I nearly said that right. Uh, there you go. Then we start getting into forward reviews. So there you go. That'll do for now. Again, sorry to those of you that I missed and uh, the fact that it was very rushed at the end of the show. Um, it's just because we got too excited talking earlier on. Um, but there we are. I think we better stop there, gents. So uh, obviously, thank you to my panel. Thank you to you for listening uh, and to Sam for producing today. You can subscribe to our show via your chosen podcast app so you don't miss a thing. And because we do three shows a week, I strongly recommend you do so. Uh, If you need any help accessing any of our shows in any way, please do let us know. Uh, A massive thanks to all of you who got in touch to help shape the show today. You can do the same by making sure you engage with the Back of the Nest social media accounts. So search us on Twitter and Facebook. You'll find all our various different forms. I think we've got an Instagram as well. Like the like all the kids have with their Instagramming and all that. IGing, I think they call it. Need DR for this, really. Uh, usually helps me out. <laughs> but we'll be back uh, we're midweek. We're on Tuesday night, in fact. We've got the live uh, show with Love Sport. That's 7 till 9 p.m. Uh, again, Google Love Sport if you haven't uh, listened to that show before and find out how to listen live. There's a phone-in as well if you want to phone in. Uh, the preview show will return, obviously, the week after in midweek to preview the Everton game. And obviously, our review show will return shortly after that match. Um, That's it. That's your lot. Bye. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.